Oh, God. I'm not, I'm not Al Pacino, like, do you know what I mean? House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. Hello, and you are very welcome to Season 3 of House of Rugby Ireland, together with Guinness, here on Joe. As you can see, a lot has changed since last season, but we are delighted to have you back here and also delighted to have Guinness on board again for a very exciting season of rugby. For those of you that have been with us last year and for those of you that are new, my name is Ema Constantine. I am an Irish and Munster women's rugby player and I will be joined this season by two fantastic guests that I'm sure you will know from their on-pitch activities. I have Leinster and Ireland's newly retired star, Fergus McFadden, and Ulster and Ireland star Ian Madigan. I also have producer Pat as well, who will be helping us out in the background and giving us all his rugby knowledge and gems along the way. Are you excited to be here and are you excited to be on the show and on this podcast, boys? Yeah, massively excited to be on board with House of Rugby. Um, I've looked at a lot of the content over the past few few years, so it's kind of cool to be on board with uh, you, and, you and Mads now. So um, hopefully we can... Uh, Make it enjoyable for the listeners. Ian, are you excited to get your your media career off to a start? Um, yeah, I think still a bit of a career to have on the pitch yet, but um, no, I was delighted with the opportunity to, to come on board when, when Ferg spoke to me about it. Um, you yeah, obviously have a great relationship with him when we played together in, in Leinster and, and, and off the field, and um, you know we thought we could put together some some interesting shows, and um, not really looking forward to it with yourself and, and, and Fergus. Did Ian, did you have any chats with Dan McFarland beforehand? And as it's obviously difficult as you're still playing, you know, it's a lot different um to you, Fergus, that you're retired now. Was it was a bit more challenging to get the go-ahead or was everything okay? No, look, they were very positive with us. Um spoke to the media team there and I think, you know, the way rugby is at the moment and, and all that's going on, they were they were happy with the with the publicity that you know that the show is gonna get and I, I think um the more publicity in the game, the, you know, the better at the moment. And I think they're just hopefully trusting in me that I don't say anything too controversial. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll find out how that goes. That's it. I'm just looking at you two guys looking in, in amazing in the new studio setting. Unfortunately, I can't be there. I am doing it virtually through Zoom um, just with Six Nations camp and that where um, I can't be with you there in studio. But I'm really looking forward to being there in the future. Fergus, tell me a bit about your retirement. You know, newly retired. How how are you settling into retirement life? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Um, enjoying it a lot, to be honest. Um, I didn't really know how I was going to feel because um, with the way it worked out, the, the contracts that myself and Rob signed on for an extra three months um, after the season was was finished and after we we managed to beat Ulster in the final and win that trophy, our contract was um, rolling. Um, on the terms that we kept winning, you know, as, as in if we got to the final of the Champions Cup, that would be our finish date. Um, so I felt a little bit funny actually yesterday, just looking at the game, thinking that could have been the end for me. So I've been finished around a month now um, and I've actually enjoyed it. I've enjoyed not being like on a schedule, um, you know, in that kind of institutionalized uh, style of, of, of work every week where you've been told where to be, what to wear, um, reminders on this that and the next um and just doing my own training um when i want to um so uh hoping i don't put on the pens too quickly so uh we'll have to see how that goes 
Fergus, the um, in the Guinness Pro 14 final, there's some really nice pictures of you and Rob lifting up the cup. Um, you know, really, it, it must have been a great moment for you to be able to lift up um, the cup with with Rob in the ends and and finish on a high with some really great photos, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was an unbelievable moment, to be honest with you, um, because I came right to the system with Rob um, back when I was in school uh, and then played together, obviously, Leinster and Ireland for the guts of you know, 13 years every day. I was in there anyway. So, um, you know, to, to get that um, uh, privilege and honour from, from Johnny and Gary that day to lift the trophy on behalf of all 56 players and the whole organisation in the Aviva was, uh, yeah, it was an incredible moment um, and a memory that, that I'll kind of cherish forever. So I'm disappointed I didn't um, finish playing in blue um, because I picked up an injury along the way, but um, uh, it was worth signing on to get that moment in the Aviva um, with the boys anyway, definitely. And Fergus, have those boots well and truly been hung up at this stage? Well, they were uh, officially hung up forever um, until I kind of got, I got a call around 10 days ago uh, about um, getting on board for the Barbarians. So the Barbarians are playing against England in Twickenham uh, next Sunday. Uh, yeah, this day week. So uh, yeah, I'm on board for that. So it's exciting um, because I thought, you know, when um, Leinster lost against Saracens in the quarter final, unfortunately, I thought that was me done. I wasn't going to pull the boots out of the bag again, but uh, this is going to be one, one last go at it. So um should be a bit of fun. So good, Congratulations on that. Job be great. that training. Get the Klongo socks on. Get the school socks on. I might go, yeah, a Leinster sock and a, and a Klongo sock. I'll see if I get picked first. But uh, yeah, it should be good fun. You were in the Babas. How did that yeah, go? Yeah, I did it a few years ago. It was great. It's actually a very special week. You build up a, you know, a really good bond with, with you know the, the group of players within a very short space of time. And um, still in contact with a few of them. And, no, it's a really special week. They they pour it on and um, wearing those famous colours. It's a great experience. Ian, how did you find like the COVID? I think the lack. What personally, but for me, what I lacked in was not having that schedule, not having that structure every single day. Did you find that hard, or did you did you enjoy a little bit of a break? Yeah, I, I definitely found it hard, and I think what I reverted to was basically building my own schedule. So I had something to to work off, and um, we were very lucky when I was. I was in Bristol, obviously, through the, the lockdown and uh, they were great for, you know, getting the equipment out to the players and we had a kind of courtyard out the back of our house where we could set up the gym from from the garage and um, Brian Byrne, the uh, Lancer and now Bristol Hooker, was living with me at the time. So, I had a, a, you know, a good training partner in him and we just used to sit down on, on the Sunday each week and kind of map out our, our training um, that we do in the gym out the back and then we were still able to run... Um, in a pitch nearby and I actually enjoyed large parts of it because, you know, when you're in the team environment, you know, you've got to very much follow the trainings that, that are being prescribed to you by the strength and conditioning coaches and, and the head coaches. Whereas when you're, you know, you're going through the lockdown, you can obviously take on board what's being sent out to you, but you can also add in stuff that you think is better suited to you. And, um, that was an element that I, I certainly felt I enjoyed and, um, you know, I was able to work on areas of my game that I felt maybe had fallen by the wayside a small bit in, in, in the last few years. And um, I think giving yourself a different focus and even training in smaller numbers um, was something that I really enjoyed. Now, I'm happy to be back in with a team now and, you know, back in that team environment. But I think, you know, a change is very healthy and, and makes you appreciate how special it is when you do come together as a team. 
absolutely. Um, personally, I absolutely understand it. You know, we're in prep for Six Nations. That's the, the reason why I'm currently not with you guys in studio. I would love to be there in the new and improved look studio. But I get that it's, it's super exciting to be back in with the team. And Ian, it actually shows, you know, all that hard work coming back and and playing so well um, when you did come back and put on that Ulster jersey. But that is not all that we have so far. We um, every season have some guests that um, some Guinness House of Rugby favourites for you. And this year is no different. And we will be joined first off on our first show by Leinster and Irish hooker Sean Cronin. We will be previewing the Guinness Six Nations Games next weekend. And we will be talking about the exciting weekend of rugby that we've had up until then. So Friday night, Ian, it started off with your old team, Bristol. They were down at halftime, but managed to pull out a 32-19 win in the end. Have you been chatting to any of the lads since the game? Yeah, I was. I was on to um, a good few of the players and um, was texting Pat Lamb and, and saying congratulations. Um, they're obviously they're, they're over the moon. You know, it's, it's huge for, for, for Bristol. It's the first, um, you know, big trophy that they've won in, you know, I don't know how many years, you know, getting promoted and relegated for you know, kind of the guts of 10 years and then finally getting into the premiership and establishing themselves to be able to get their hands on, on a trophy like the, the Challenge Cup is, is huge. And um, for all the players involved and, and, and the city, you know, I was absolutely delighted to see them um, winning. And I thought they really deserved it. You know, they've, they've played fantastic rugby throughout the season. You know, they've been a, a joy to watch and they were a joy to, to play with for me personally. Um and, you know, when you've built up a relationship with guys over three years to, and you see the work that goes in every day for them to get the fruits in, in a big trophy like that is is fantastic. And, you know, they, I really did think they deserved it. Yeah, and there was quite a lot of actually Irish involvement in the backroom team and in the playing team um, with Bristol this year. Yeah, so... Um, John Muldoon was uh, the defence coach last year and he's moved in to the, the forwards coach role now and uh, seems to have taken to it like a duck to water. You know, he's doing a fantastic job. You know, they've um, a, a driving mall that, that gets, you know, nearly a couple of tries every game. And, um, you know, he was very good as a defence coach last year. You know, Pat, it, it's an area that Pat would look after himself. Um, so, you know, in a way, Pat would have been a great mentor to him to, to be able to help him with the trainings. Um but I think the natural progression for him having been a forward and, and it definitely is probably a step up to go from defence coach to, to forwards coach and it's um, something that, that's really suited him and um, they're, Bristol are very lucky to have him. Yeah, they are. And the exciting weekend of rugby didn't actually stop there on Friday night. We had a really exciting Champions Cup final yesterday between um, where Exeter where Exeter got their first win out of that um, against a really strong wrestling team. Simon Zebo getting two tries, but some controversial decisions in the end um, in relation to penalties awarded and not awarded. What do you think about that, Fergus? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it was an incredible final. Um, I don't think the quality of rugby was the best that, out of a, a game from the Champions Cup. I think there was definitely even Champions Cup pool games, I think, where the quality was better than that, which is in terms of excitement and for a neutral um, for a lot of Irish fans that would have been watching and not really probably caring who was going to win, bar maybe siding with Steenson, Witten or Zebo Ryan to win their first cup. Um, what a game. Like, it had everything. Like, initially, um, the first 10 minutes, I, I was thinking Exeter could, they could beat them in this final by 30 points. Like, they, they steamrolled them a couple of times in those malls. And once they got the, the pick and jams going, um, it looked like Rassing 
were the racing they were kind of 10 years ago where they down a couple of scores and they, you know, stick their heads in the sand. Whereas, um, yeah, I just think they were making a lot of stupid mistakes at the start. You know, you had their nine kicking the ball out in the full, uh, some of their backs throwing some passes into touch. But when they got going, I thought they were actually definitely, the, they played the better rugby. Um, I think they'll look back with a fair bit of regret in the game. Um, and yeah, you can talk about the refereeing decisions, but I think there was a few refereeing decisions that probably went their way as well at the breakdown. And everyone was talking about that last one where the sub nine for extra came on Hidalgo Klein and got over the ball. Was he in the side or was he not? But the balance of the game, I actually think Nigel Owens had a, had a good game. And I think that Rassing from their own mistakes didn't deserve to win the match. So fair play to Exeter. Uh, just some journey for that for them. Like I remember yeah. the first time we came across Exeter was under Joe Schmidt in 2012. We played against them, and I remember we drew against them. And I was thinking, like Exeter, I've seen nothing of them. Like I didn't know any of their players at the time. Yeah. Um, and Baxter was the coach at that stage as well. But I do remember after the matches being like incredibly beaten up after it, and we I think we only beat them narrowly in both games. I was kind of going, how have I not heard anything about these guys? Um, so that's been the journey for them, really. And it's a, the, the, I think the best, the most impressive thing that they've done is they've done it the hard way, but they've, they've done it without probably bringing in superstars with loads of money. Like you look at the Toulon model that worked maybe for those three years, bringing in Giddos, Wilkinsons, all these top guys. Um, they've got homegrown guys there in Exeter. It seems like they have a great identity um, yeah, it's and an a great culture. culture there. Yeah. yeah. They. Um yeah, they pride themselves in that physicality. You hmm. know, they're the Cornish people, like from living over in England for a few years, they're, you know, they're a real breed and they're very proud people. And, you know, um, it's a beautiful place to, to live in England. Like, they're very, very lucky to, to be set up down, down the street. Big into racing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Surprised you, didn't, <laughs> surprised you didn't go there instead of Bristol, actually. <laughs> I would have, they'd have me. But you didn't get offered. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, look, they're 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 a quality side, and as you yeah. said, like they've been building over the last you know five ten years, and um, obviously they've had a great duel with Saracens, um, which you know they've they've come out on top of now. Mm. Uh, but they, they're a side as well that struggled in Europe for a good few years. You know, it, it just it, they were always top one or two in the Premiership, but wasn't clicking for them mm. um, in Europe. But they, it seems that the pennies dropped, and they they play a certain style and. I actually thought, like I was talking to my brother before the game, and I, I, I said, I think Exeter will win. I think they're, they're better suited for finals rugby. Mm. Um, and ultimately they were, but as you said, Racing were probably the better side. You know, they've got more to well, their they game. they played the better rugby. Yeah. There's no doubt. No, they did. Like, they did. Like, literally what happened, I felt anyway, from watching throughout the whole game, was discipline on uh, Rossing's side completely let them down. So the, yeah. the giveaway penalties in the middle of the park, even when they had the ball themselves, stupid stuff. Um, their players not getting over the ball quick enough with the rooks, they're holding on. And then um, Simmons would just kick to the corner. You know, yeah. his kicking to the corner has been outstanding. His place kicking has been outstanding. Yeah. Kick to the corner. Once they get into the 22, they're, they're almost impossible to stop. Like as yeah. in, if they get, you know, the score probably seven out of 10 you know, set pieces from the line out within your 22. Yeah. Like from the the stats that were that were shown throughout the Champions Cup, it's unbelievably impressive what they do because it's actually so simple. Um, but on the flip side, then you looked at when Racing actually held the ball, um, there was fair enough a few speculative passes from Finn Russell that came off, um, but they put together some beautiful play when they yeah. could just hold on to the ball. And, and even... 
when Exeter held on to the ball in the middle of the park, they never really looked like they were going anywhere, you know? Yeah. It was purely the Rassing. Now, Rassing looked discipline. in control when they were defending mm. Exeter, and then when Rassing were defending with the speed they had, the offloading game, their shape, they looked really, really impressive. Mm. Um, but yeah, with that Exeter, you know, the, when they get into your 22, it's nearly inevitable that they're, they're going to score you know, two out every three times. So it's about not letting them in there. Mm. And like so often on the restarts, like Rassing were just incredibly frustrating. Like if you're a Rassing supporter, watching them, you know, receiving restarts and like the ball bouncing all over the place and then literally <laughs> just after you've scored, you're back defending your own try line. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's... Oh, they just shot Should themselves that, the, the, a few the, times. The Zebo second try at the start of the second half was just... That, would, that summed their day up. So it was outstanding. Yeah for them to get into that position. And then, unlike Exeter, they actually went high-risk play, went out to Finn Rosalie, threw lovely pass to Zebo, scores in the corner. Go back, you're like, oh, geez, they're back in the game here. You know, I think they're two points down. And off the kickoff, <sighs> knock it off, knock it on straight away. Yeah. And then error, error, error. And Exeter, yeah. pick and go. I think it was another pick and go try again. Score it. Um, no, like, it's tough. Like, it's for just, the pack there, like, you know, the pack of ground out like a fantastic try like they're probably absolutely gassed yeah. you know they actually get it right at the restart and they look out and they're trundling in behind can the you post. imagine being a racing coach as in like oh. it literally the roller coaster of emotions that they must go on weekly like i'd say that a lot of them have heart problems like <laughs> because it's you know you're up so yeah. i would say the zebo try and the other the russell pass that actually hits or as the russell pass the interception in yeah. the start of the second half but even like the very like, frustrating. They're weighing up subbing off the nine after like ten, fifteen minutes. Like mm-hmm. the roller coaster of that and then you can see him talking to Mash now going, Well well, I'm actually gonna leave him on for another few minutes and mm-hmm. see if he can get it right. But the other thing as well, you don't know how much because obviously they had they had a good few cases, you know, the the slow yeah. start yeah, true. did did their how much was their preparation affected over the last few weeks? Yeah. Um that could have been a factor, you know, it's it's not really something you can measure, but Mm. Um, it definitely in, in relation there. in relation to you were saying there about um, the mistakes that they kept making Racing kept making those mistakes and it's just so you don't know what team is going to come out whether it's going to be whether you know they'll try those things and they'll sometimes they'll work but then other times they don't and that Finn Russell intercept try you know he's capable of doing throwing amazing passes like the one that he set out for Zebo out in the wing but then there's the risk involved in it like how important is I suppose that tends influence and like Finn Russell, could he have done much more in the game? You know, there's a lot of criticism about how he could have gone for that drop goal in the end. And as a 10, you know, what, what did you expect from someone like Finn Russell? Yeah, I, I think with, with Finn, you've got to take the good with the bad, you know, like they're probably not getting into the final, you know, no. the, the, the yeah. moment the magic he, he produced throughout the group stages, like that bit of skill against Munster was incredible. Mm. The chip, you know, to have, <laughs> The bravery to go for that chip at the end of the Saracens game and it, and it pulls up, it pulls off was you know incredible piece of skill. The pass to Zebo was you know an absolute moment of magic in the final and yeah. like you can't you can't take that good and then complain about him when it doesn't come off because it is high yeah. risk and you know what he's doing is is right in the high end. The intercept pass, I think it's it suits Racing's yeah. philosophy because they're yeah, they're probably a more structured and hardworking French team than a lot of them. But yeah. they still played that loose style, and Russell being their ten just suits yeah. it, like you know. Yeah, and like in his defence, for the for the one, for the intercept try, you know, the, the space is there. He's seen the space. He probably hasn't got a perfect grip of the pass, 
you know, and delivered the pass that he knows that he could have. It's ended up short, but can he get it over? No. Yeah, he probably can, but he didn't in in, in that instance. But there's other out halves that don't even have that pass within their armory, you Mm. know, or they don't see where the space is. Like, he's unbelievable the way he views it. I love the way Mads is completely defending him here because (laughs) a lot of the stuff that he did, Mads was doing doing on a weekly basis. Yeah, Yeah, it's going through your head at the same time. But look, when it it pulls off... (laughs) When it works, it works and you'll get all the glory for it. And when it doesn't, you'll get absolutely scrutinised. So we're going to leave part one there. After, in part two, we're going to have Sean Cronin and we're going to chat about the Guinness Six Nations. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. It's a pleasure to have Sean Cronin here uh, with us on on our first show, House of Rugby, our first guest. Um, Welcome, Nuggie. Thanks very much, guys. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here for your, the opening show of the series and um, really looking forward to the chat. <laughs> well, it's, it's ironic because uh, I think like, we know each other so well, but um, the last time we hung out was probably quite a while ago now between you going over to Bordeaux and Bristol and, and now Ulster um, to think we're thick as thieves um, with the days we're in Leinster and Ireland and stuff. It's... Uh, it's funny we have to be on a on a podcast to, to catch up properly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Long gone are the days where you could just have coffees and, and you know, soak it up for a few hours after training. A lot's changed for you two boys over the last few years with the with the babies arriving and, and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. I think um I don't know how you feel, Nuggy, but like I felt and you had you had kids before I did uh, playing rugby as well, but I found it a, it a pretty big adjustment, like in terms of like professional rugby on its own is is tricky for yourself and and I you know your wife been on the roller coaster with you but once a kid arrives into the mix the old uh, spare time goes out the window in terms of going for coffees and lunches and all the rest how, how have you found that adjustment from earlier on in your career when you had like more free time and stuff yeah I suppose uh last change where you could spend three hours down the, the local coffee shop shooting the breeze like uh yeah it's it is tough and I suppose it's just about the adjustment um when the kids come along and um, I suppose it just brings another focus to your life really it's, you, you understand where I'm coming from with that I suppose but look it's great to to have them involved and I know with the whole Covid situation at the moment it's tough they, they obviously can't go to games now um, but uh, it's great to have them involved and the two boys love their love their Leinster jerseys um, they were actually in lifestyle sports the other day with with Claire looking at and uh, Killian said they were looking at Irish jerseys and <laughs> Killian said uh, the video in Ireland, did Killian said uh, we don't buy Irish jerseys anymore mommy daddy doesn't play for them brilliant so, uh, that's daddy's boy that's yeah. daddy's boy when Killian's cutting you from the squad it's not a good situation to be in it's actually funny you say that because uh, you know Freddie since he started to talk and all the rest he understands what's going on my sorry oldest son who's two um, you know the, the past few months when I'd go off in the morning or whatever come back um, my wife would say, oh, daddy was at work, daddy was playing rugby and he would have seen some of the matches when I was on TV. Whereas now, obviously, I'm retired, you know, completely finished. And when I leave the house sometimes and come back, he goes, oh, daddy was playing rugby. Like, no, <laughs> daddy's, daddy's done. <laughs> daddy's, daddy's finished. But, um, yeah, we, we were talking before the show, Mads, about um, some things we could touch on with Nuggie. And obviously, you having the experiences in, in, other, in other different environments. Uh, I think you had mentioned about, like, being... Leinster through and through and then moving to different clubs and ending up in Ulster like how, how did you find that for yourself in terms of obviously the first time you played us was um, 
the first game, second game back, was it, in the yeah. Stadium? Yeah, like for me, you know, growing up, supported Leinster and coming through the academies and, and, um, and whatnot, like on a, a development contract and then breaking through into the first team, you know, it was dream come true stuff, you know, getting to play with, you know, the the guys you worship growing up, the likes of Draco and, and stuff like that. It was a dream come true and um, was lucky enough to share some great, great memories with the, with you two guys playing for Leinster. So moving away was, you know, it was a big decision for me. And um, I remember when I moved to Bordeaux and they were in the Champions Cup, I remember really hoping that they wouldn't draw um, Leinster in, in, in the group stages um, because I just didn't feel like I was ready to, you know, play against Leinster and... Um, it's funny how time has gone on now. I've you know, obviously played in, uh, in Bristol for a few years and now at Ulster. I actually relished playing against Leinster and it was something that really excited me, which I suppose is probably maybe a bit of maturity, but also kind of how your career is, has, has developed over the years. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was very, it was very weird going out against um, you guys in that regular season game at the end of last season and then obviously playing you, you in the final. Um, but yeah, I suppose, how did you find it, Nuggie, when you were... Obviously, you played with Munster and Connacht and then joining Leinster and having to play against those clubs. I suppose I had a slightly different route in terms of I was involved with Munster in, in the academy and growing up and playing club rugby down there. And then um, it was, like you, like you said, it was a big decision for me to move to Connacht at the time. I thought it was a real big opportunity to go get some 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 top-level pro rugby at the time. And it was a very tough decision. Um and uh, then going up against Munster, going back down to Tone Park after that was it was very strange. And and I did three years there. And when I moved to Leinster, but I suppose like you said, over time um, it, it it turned out to be less of a weird experience going down. And I suppose the fact that we played each other every year as well. Um, but uh, yeah, plenty of abuse when I went uh, back to Connacht anyway after I joined Leinster. Um, and we got <laughs> your rolled father, Your father was probably screaming at you when we went, went down to Tolman for the first few times. Yeah, well, he was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was, <clears throat> he had his Munster jersey on. We, we turned him eventually. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it was strange. And uh, I suppose, like you said, though, something over time that it just got a, a little bit weird, a little bit less weird over yeah, time. Yeah, for me, like it was, it was definitely surreal, you know, coming up against your old club and, um, a moment that stands out for me enough, like when obviously we lost the final, I was you know gutted to lose, and um, we were there. We, you know we stayed out on the pitch, and um, yourself and Rob came up to to lift the trophy, and it just was just a really kind of weird moment uh, when you know in past times you would have been on the, I would have been on the podium potentially with you guys, but I, I'll never forget when Fergie lifted up the trophy and. He's, you know, he's got a big rug of, a, uh, <laughs> of his stomach. For anyone and, that didn't see the front of the Irish Independence Parliament, yes, I do have a big Yeah, and I think James Tracy was in behind you helping. Oh, I remember, I, well, my memory from it was, so um, myself and Rob got given the honour from, from Gary and, and Johnny on the day to lift the trophy, which was incredible and um, almost a bit embarrassing, the fact that we didn't play on the day and everything. But we went up anyway, and as bizarre as it was with no one in the crowd... Um, there's obviously two of us lifting the trophy, like one on each side. So it's not a normal kind of lift. You're not doing it on your own. So um, what we actually, sorry, what we did was me and Rob both went up with two hands and James Tracy, so he says afterwards, was just a bit, a bit excited and he felt like he wanted to try, like, lift me with it or something. <laughs> but he managed to pull my top up like this. Like one of my nipples was pretty much poking out of my top. And I remember, like, pulling my top down and we're still, like, you know, singing Championne and all this kind of stuff. 
and then I looked out because obviously there's no one in the crowd so I was looking at a few of the Ulster players and you caught my eye uh, I could see you smiling up at me and I was going I'm not going to hear the end of this now and, and Mads uh, yeah. in my ear about it uh, I remember yeah. smiling at the time and then very quickly realising geez, if any of the Ulster boys look over at me here and see me smiling with you guys lifting the trophy they won't understand what's going on but it was just one of those moments where you know it was just surreal I suppose it was proper proper Austin Powers stuff yeah, I, didn't, I didn't really I didn't notice it at the time <laughs> When I came in, I had about 25 WhatsApp messages and they were all of you lifting the trophy with half your stomach hanging out. Like, so, um, <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, a few lads said that, uh, yeah, you were still in pretty good nick anyway. So. <laughs> Through the rug, you could just about yeah. see it. Speaking of, um, speaking of funny moments, um, we do have one funny clip here that we're going to throw up. Um, Nuggie, they might talk you through it. I was actually playing in the game. It was against the, che- the one against the Cheetahs earlier on in the season. Um, I'm not sure if we have the clip here that we can we can put it up to talk through. But um, I remember from the game. I remember from this. Remember from the game though. It was literally the wettest day I've ever played rugby, and you can see we're drowned there, and it's what 73 minutes in, and we're winning by 30 points. Can you talk us through exactly what's going through your head? You know, because a bit of a question for what happens next. Yeah, See, the scrum was going. <laughs> the scrum was going so well that day. I just wanted to try and get a scrum there in the five. Uh, as you can see, it's a desperate moment for myself there when you're in that and that's something like that. You can't even see the conditions on the pitch. Um, at the, it was the like, worst. It was by far the worst weather I've ever played in in my life. But I, I specifically remember like our players laughing, the Cheetahs players laughing, and the fans in the crowd yeah. were also drowning. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't blame the touch judge. You know it's bad when. Uh, you, you're, I was talking to my mother after the, the game and usually, you know, you could have the most shocking game of your life and she'd always, you know, you were great, you did so well, you did this. You... But uh, when she brought that up and said that it didn't look great, I knew I was in big, big shit. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the mothers can always give it, give it a, a positive spin. Have you had ever any situations like that you could draw on with that? I remember for me, anyway, I had won... Um, the game hadn't even started, so we're playing an A game against England. Um, it was in 2014 before the Six Nations. And it was in Gloucester, and we're walking out, and um, there was mascots to walk out with us, you know. And uh, obviously the mascots were, were, were kids, and most of them were up to the lads', the lads hips, and you hold their hands to walk out. There's this kind of guy standing beside me, and kind of wondering, kind of wondering where my mascot's gone, you know. And, uh, but he's just kind of nodding at me as if, like, he's... And I'd go, surely this guy's not my mascot. Like he's, he's, he was an inch smaller than me, I'd say. <laughs> Genuinely. But obviously then the awkward situation was, so he obviously was just big for his age, but I have to walk out hand in hand. So it just looks like two men are walking out. Oh, my the mascots and, and the, But I remember, I think the, the game was on some channel. I can't remember what it was on. Uh, could have been on, been on TV3 or something. And um, the camera goes across during uh, Ireland's call. And you pretty much couldn't see my face. Like, you could see my eyes over the top of it, but I'm trying to keep the smile off my face. You can see the headband across. over the top. Yeah. You can see the headband, yeah, just about, but um, not my finest moment, that one. Yeah, I had a tricky enough one when, we, uh, when I first joined Bordeaux. And it was just a friendly game. It was like our, our first friendly game before the league started. And um, you boys have both played on the pitch in Bordeaux. It's a really old surface, so kind of like spongy. Um, and I was kicking before the game and literally could not kick snow off a rope. Like, it was just one of those one of those days, just couldn't get it right, couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. And um, so the warm-up ended. And, like, you know, you've got, like, three or four minutes to go into the change room, get your jersey on, and then head back out. And I was like, right, my kick was in a bad spot. I was like, I'll keep kicking for another few kicks, you know, another two or three, get it right, and then head in. 
So I'm taking, you know, two or three kicks. It's still going terribly. Like it drifted on to like, you know, eight, nine, ten kicks. And usually you'd have a kicking coach there telling you, like, right, you need to head in. So anyway, eventually I made the, the trip back into the dressing room. Now in Bordeaux, the... It's a long, the yeah, long it's tunnel. Yeah, it's like a crazy long tunnel. It's like it's must be... a kilometre long. Probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's, it's a kilometre long. Meters, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm making my way back in the tunnel and the team are coming out the tunnel. They're already like ready to go. I remember like catching eyes. This is your typical mad stuff now. Right? Yeah, yeah. Catching <laughs> catching eyes with the captain and like you know yourself. You get into the change room like you've a fair you know fair few things to get sorted before mm. you head back out. Um, so I run back up to the change room, get the boots on, um, you know, get your jersey on, shoulder strapping, and then I run back out the tunnel. And both teams are already set up and like waiting for me. And like in France, they kind of they loved a bit of fanfare and stuff and. It was almost like it was set up that the new signing was coming out. You were starting the game. Starting the game, okay. yeah. And I like, got a bit of an ovation from the crowd and like never lived it down with the team. Like they were like basically saying that I'd like, set it up like Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It wouldn't be like you. Yeah. Set it up after seeing you crying on TV playing Francis stuff. Like, yeah. This guy loves the limelight. That sounds like um, a pretty reasonable, embarrassing situation, Mads. I'm sure there's a few more there we could have pulled out. It could have yeah, been far yeah, worse. Yeah. Make yourself sound great here. Um <laughs> Get back onto the small bit of the rugby here, just from the, the weekend, especially just with the final, um, Nuggie, like, what did you think of the Exeter Rascal game, Barrett, just obviously being an incredible final? What was your, your view on it? Did you watch the whole thing or like, what, what did you think about the results? Yeah, I watched it yesterday. Um, yeah, incredible game of rugby, um, from start to finish, really. Um, I suppose Rascal probably be de- kicking themselves, um, just some er- big errors at, at key moments in the game instead of maybe a small bit of lack of control. Um, uh, Exeter are very clinical. We've yeah. seen throughout the year when they get into an opposition 22, they're always scoring. But um, I suppose we saw Finn Russell, both sides of what he brings. He can be you know, a wizard at times and, and set up some unbelievable scores. But then um, the intercept... Um, and then the little grubber through and maybe mm. a bit more composure at that key. Kind of didn't feel like a final or something, like at the start of it. And obviously there's no crowd. To, obviously the atmosphere at finals is historically so much better than all yeah. of the knockout and pool stage games. But it was something about the start of the game that just didn't feel like it because there were so many basic errors. You know the way you get to the two best teams in the comp get to the final, like those basics are usually so spot on. Yeah. And they kind of weren't from both sides, I mm. thought anyway. Like even... See, the scrum half getting the penalty at the start of the game, scrum half misses touch. Then I think Shivansi throws a ball into touch. Like these kind of errors. And the, that happened even, like there was some poor errors from Exeter throughout the game. I thought the standard of the game, obviously a great watch, yeah. the standard of the game was. No, it was great. some of the mistakes you wouldn't usually see at that high level. Um, you know, like the Racing Nine was lucky to stay on for, you know, even to make it to half time. He just had one of those games where everything he touched wasn't working out. Like, he tried a no-look pass, didn't work out. The penalty touch, as you said. Um, and you could see, like, Mashino getting warmed up on, on the sideline. It would have been yeah. it would have been a big call, but, you know. I was kind of laughing when I saw that, um, um, that they were warming Mashino up, and I could see the coach talking in his ear, and I'd say he was just uh, saying, you know, try not to be as shit as... Uh, <laughs> as Teddy just Bill- don't Bill- do what he's doing. Yeah. Please don't yeah. do what he's doing. Yeah. But I know. Uh, that seemed, yeah, like crazy. But then the man started to get into the game a small bit more. Between him and Russell together, like, you know, it was just a, it was a poor yeah. combo for the... And I know Russell had some great moments, as you said. You know, the lovely pass to Zebo. 
he threw, he flung some lovely passes in the second half as well. But like, and I know you say like, you got to take the good to the bad with someone like him, but you'd hope in a final that he might rein it in that tiny <coughs> bit more. Do you know what I mean? But even even for Exeter's first try, that came from uh, it was kicked into touch, and Finn Russell tried the quick the quick throw. Um, mm. across the pitch to, I can't remember who got it but then Exeter turned him over great kick chase by Exeter um, and then into the corner and that was the first seven so all the mm. Exeter scores came from you know errors or mistakes yeah, made by the, re- the restarts receipts that Racing took like they barely barely took one clean and like it wasn't like it was even really co- like accurate high kicks where the wingers getting up and it's a real competition there was no real pressure on them. They just mm. looked disorganised, and it's basic things like that in the final that you mm. just you can't give a team like Exeter access into your twenty-two yeah. straight away after scoring. So clinical, you know. Right. Every time they get in there, they're coming away with points, and ultimately, like that's what it came down to. Mm. In a weird way, it kind of made the final more exciting because you kind of knew Racing were a shambles at times, but they had the ability to win that game. Like at the end, when Classens went through, like he twists his body the other way. He's scoring, you know. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I, um, Hidalgo Klein got on the ball, but from what I saw, Exeter player didn't roll away. Yeah. And that didn't that didn't allow the racing players the, the entry into clean out classes. Mm. So um, I thought it was a tough call. I thought it potentially could have been a penalty for racing. Yeah, same. It swung because, the, it swung yeah. The yeah, because the guy that tackled them was on the wrong side, so the clean out, their Could, cleaner yeah. couldn't get through yeah. Yeah. over the top. Like, really, like, it's great grit there by Exeter to, and it kind of summed them up that yeah. kind of moment but in terms of legality like there's no way Hidalgo Klein went through the gate there in terms of like back around and through the gate of the rook yeah. he came directly in it's from a, the side it's a funny one like when someone's in the act of scoring and it's in the try line area you know there's so much stuff going on yeah. like you could nearly argue as well that it was in the act of scoring and it could have been a, a racing five metre scrum that he's yeah. you know in theory held him up yeah, it was a tough one for yeah. Nigel Owens, who actually thought spared the um, the calamity at the end with the time with the with the clock and, and all yeah. that. I thought he had a good game, and from just from you know recent, I saw, he let the game flow with with yeah, reason. Yeah, no, he did. Um, I thought he had a very good game. Yeah. You know, like all refs, you're going to miss one or two things, but I thought he was very fair to both sides. Let it flow really well, and even like the the bit of a mess at the end, like he's they, they've ended up with the right decision. Like the, the clock was up. Yeah. You know, and you would have hated for like that to have continued and let's say Racing at the restart back and score, like yeah. that would have been a shambles. Yeah. So I remember the, the couple of decisions that were made um in twenty fourteen, but the three of us were involved in, in that game over in France and we were the super subs for that whole uh, <laughs> campaign where the three yeah. of us were subbing for Joe Schmidt's Ireland and, and it was a it was an unbelievable like I would have loved to have started, but it, I was just Delighted to have been in the squad for for that campaign. I thought it was a really, really enjoyable campaign. And the finish was a really exciting one, obviously over in in, in Stade de France yeah. to do that to them. But there were some decisions in that game that went Ireland's way as well. Like at yeah. the end, you had the pylon, which was deemed a mall. But like, I don't think you'd get away with that. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't uh, get away with that now. Who yeah. was refing that day, actually? Do you remember? Because I was, was thinking it, the it wasn't under was the... Um, Steve something um, he was a New Zealander because I remember he went it was not the game where they went upstairs for the, the potential forward pass from the one where Dave came in and, and hit your man and yeah. he threw it forward yeah yeah. Um, um, but I, I, I think there was, there was decisions in that game as well it just showed, I think 
I think on the bearing of the full game, Exeter and Rossing, like, Exeter deserved to win the match. But there was a decision or two there where you could go, you know, I'm sure Rossing fans are going, they've got to feel... Steve Roach. Steve Roach. You sure? No. He's... Oh, Steve Walsh. Steve Walsh. <laughs> Steve Roach. Steve Roach. He's a cyclist, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's an example of a day where it went our way. Um, yeah. But what a memory that was. Um, I remember on the field. I don't think I've ever, like... Felt so relieved on a pitch for the final whistle to come. Yeah, well, that down. was our first big, big win for Ireland, wasn't yeah. it? You know, that we'd been involved in. You know, we weren't around in. Mm. So I, we, I got my first cap in two thousand nine, but it was the, the November after they'd won the Grand Slam, yeah. and um, I think Joe had come in in twenty thirteen. Mm. That was when we lost to the All Blacks yeah. in that game, and um, yeah. that was his first Six Nations. Um, but, uh, yeah, for us coming on as well, like you're coming on protecting a lead. Oh, cause you're coming on panicking. You're going, coming on just be the person that, yeah. that messes this up for everyone. Oh, it's yeah. massive pressure, pressure cooker yeah. so environment. And yeah. um, no, that was a great. I'll always remember that because, like I said, it was. I thought it was our first big win with Ireland championship in, yeah. in the Stade de France. You know, you couldn't have got much better, and it went right down yeah. to the wire with the forward, potential forward pass. And but the reason um, I'm actually bringing it up as well is because obviously Ireland could be battling it out for the championship in Stade de France in two weeks' time if they get five points against Italy. And I think we talk about a pressure cooker there, and particularly like coming off the bench. But that's largely because of the fans there. You know, there's 80,000 people in that, and the French are so loud. Like, for the Irish lads not to have that, and I don't want to, like, I don't want to skip past Italy as it's going to be. I'd like to think we're going to get five points there. But if we can do that, go over to, like, that's a massive positive for, I think, this Irish team going over to the fact that there will be no crowd there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be very strange, like Stade de France. It, even, it, even the fact that you are playing away from home, it's an incredible, incredible stadium to play in and yeah. what an atmosphere. But um, it'll be very strange. And like you said, they, Italy at home was the first game up. And um, like the, guy, the guys will be aiming for five points there. And then it'll all come down to that final game. So, yeah. Um, but France will be, if they win their next game, they'll be going for the Grand Slam. So yeah, um, it'll be very interesting to see yeah. what plays out. There's a good chance, like that, like that French game, there's a high chance it will be a loose game. It will be a high-scoring game. So if Ireland are to win it, there's a high possibility that it, it could well be four tries. Yeah, potentially. So yeah. Um, it could tee up nicely. But mm. yeah, it'll be, it'll be a huge game if, if France are going for the Grand Slam. It'll be, it'll be a great one to watch. Definitely. Um, with the current season, uh, Nug, like obviously, I was in there for the couple of days after we lost against Saracens, and then that was that was that was me done. But um, how did you find, like, and even with the boys as well, like pressing the reset button, kind of rolling straight into next season? Because obviously, every club's had to do that. Like, there hasn't been a period of like off time and just to, and you know, for people that aren't professional rugby players or don't know much about it, like to press that reset button and have time off is actually it's huge and it's key for. I think um, uh, keeping motivation levels high, um, you know, your body obviously staying in one piece, the fact you're not playing right through. I, I think um, it'll be interesting to see how guys manage to cope getting right through um, the season now because there's no real break. I know that you didn't have a game last weekend um, and there's probably not one now for another week, is there not? With Lancer? No, we've got uh, next Friday night. Next Friday night, Zebra. But I, like you said, there's not there's no break now. I think it's ten weeks consecutively. So, um, and in terms of I suppose 
after the Saracens game, that was technically the season done. And like you said, yourself and Rob retired and finished up. And um, I suppose the way the coaches really, uh, I suppose, drilled it into us was that we're, it was, it was the season start. It's just one big season, you know, and I know that we're rolling into the next one now. And like I said, there's little break. There's a huge amount of rugby. So it's 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 massively important to try and keep as many guys on the training field and as fit. Um, we've obviously lost twenty players, I think, to Irish camp. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough, a testing few weeks for Leinster um, from from a personal point of view. To, um, that we've a lot of new guys, young guys coming in now and getting an opportunity to play. Definitely, because I think like how many players did have Leinster lost? Is it sixteen for to Ireland? No, I think it's twenty. Is it twenty? Yeah, yeah, it's and the most ever, really. Yeah, and right. I think the scary thing is that in years gone by, you had, I suppose, the young guys were were the guys that were staying back and they were keeping the the, mm. the show on the road, so to speak. But now you got like the young young guys are like Caelan Darris and Ronan Kelleher and all these guys are they're in Irish camp now. So mm. it's even the younger crop coming through in Leinster, yeah, who are going to be getting their chance to 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 put their foot forward in, in the weeks coming up. Yeah, I know. Um... How do how do Ulster manage that, Matt? How have you noticed them managing? Because obviously, well, Ulster wouldn't lose as many as, as Leinster, but like, what is their management with that in terms of players leaving and coming in and out of the environment? Yeah, it, look, it's it, it's generally pretty seamless from what I've seen. You know, it's um, you know yourself as well. When you're in a professional environment. You're just dealing with what you've got. So even for what's going on at the moment with you know the the COVID restrictions, so we've had um, two weeks where we've been massively disrupted with with COVID cases and it's not necessarily just that you know one or two cases you have you could lose eight or nine guys on a given week if those two guys have had close contacts so it is you know very disruptive and you can also lose training days so if you find out on a Monday or a Tuesday that these cases have come in you mightn't be able to come back in until the Thursday or the Friday you might only have one training session before a game so similar with not having internationals around you just deal with what you've got and mm. I think Generally, professional environments are very good at that. You know, it's ultimately what team you're putting out. That's that's what's on show. And and um, yeah, look, it's a, an exciting time for, for us up in Ulster. We've you know won our first two games. We've Dragons at home next Sunday, and you know hopefully another home win, and we can be three from three. Yeah, Nogi, thanks a million for coming on the first show. Yeah, thanks a million with uh, me and Mads. It was a pleasure having you on. And uh, thanks, lads. Best of luck for the new season as well. Thanks, thanks very much. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. Okay, and for last orders, there is no better place to start than the upcoming Guinness Six Nations at the weekend against Italy. So there has been some, lots of discussions about the selection, lots of discussions about COVID, lots of members injured. There's been so much talking points ahead of this game, this long-awaited return to rugby that we are so excited about. So, Ian, first up, Ireland need a bonus point win to still be in with the chance of winning this championship. Yeah, it's it's crucial to, you know, gather momentum very quickly going into this game, um, having been apart for as long as they have. And I personally think they are suited to, you know, playing the Italians because... We've had their number for the last, you know, few years, um, and you know you'd have to be confident that if they do play well, that they they could get um, yeah, get tries. four tries and yeah. and and then um, roll into the English game, you know, and and everything could be all to play for there and and win a trophy. 
or the French game? French game, sorry. You've obviously been keeping an eye on the fixtures since you're not, not, not in the squad. England, <laughs> England, yes. England have Italy next weekend, so an equally yeah, important England game didn't for go Ireland. So yes, well. you're right, Ian. But, uh, but the, the, yeah, the Italy game is, I agree with Mads there, like we definitely have had their number the last few years and you'd kind of just expect Ireland to get five points without, you know, belittling Italy. I think that Ireland should be, you know, get five points there. Hopefully, and then yeah. <clears throat> if they can, they'd probably be in a position where they'd have to get another five points against France in Paris. And, you know, judging by what the French pulled out of the bag against England in Paris, like when they're in the mood over there, they're quite hard to stop. So um, it'll be a huge challenge, but it's an exciting one. I think, listen, I think for the, the group of players that's been pulled together and there's an awful lot of guys from all the four provinces that have been given fresh opportunities um, and rewarded for good performances with provinces. Um, yeah, they, they, I'm sure they just want to get stuck into a game and, and are hoping to get picked. Yeah, and that's the question. Like in the past, Italy was always seen as the one that you could, you know, rest the usual starters and that you could give those guys, like those guys that have been showing in their provinces in the last while, those chances. But I suppose given the situation, given the current climate that we're in, and as you said, looking for a five-point win against France, like getting that bonus point, will that be the same? Like, so we're going back to selection here. Will it be that inexperienced guys that are getting their first opportunity and getting some of those first caps, or because the team haven't played together in so long? What What are we thinking? Reselection. I reckon. I reckon Andy's probably going to reward the guys who've played the best, um, because Ireland haven't played together for so long. Um, that's in my opinion, that would be probably the best thing to do because yeah. the, the the guys will they're they've been training together now for you know going on a week is it 10 days or longer yeah it's only um, a short period of time it's a no, short short yeah. enough period of time yeah. but um i'm sure he, he'd like to reward the guys that did well with ireland under him as well and that have been doing well with ireland for years and maybe not might not have gotten as much game time with their provinces so i'm sure it'll be It'll be a mixed bag of some fresh faces and then definitely some seasoned campaigners. Yeah, I, I think what could happen is like you've got you know, guys coming in like James from Gibson Park, James Lowe, that are going to be most likely, in my opinion, getting their first cap. But it's not that you know, it's a, some young guy coming in who might get a go against Italy, but then you mightn't see him the following week. These are guys that we could foreseeably see them in the 23 going forward now for Ireland mm. um, if they go well. And, and um, I think we'll... we'll probably see them play against Italy and, and if they go well then they, they could get re- rewarded again against France Yeah maybe I think it, I suppose there's two sides to that argument because then you go if you want to hit the ground running going over to Paris do you want to give the guys game time that you want to play over there as well but then you run the risk of guys picking up niggles and knocks um, I don't know it's just going to be an interesting one I, I, I agree with you though I, t- I think given a couple of guys maybe that haven't had opportunities before a chance against Italy and Dublin would be a nice start. Yeah, and going back to that, there is quite a few question marks. Obviously, there's there's suspensions, there's injuries, and the squad has actually changed quite a bit from last Tuesday when they announced it. But there's question marks over a few positions, I suppose, namely the back row, second row, who's going to be the partnership there. And in relation to the the back three, you know, with Larmer injured, I think he was... He was looking there to be maybe um, the starting fullback. Who there's a, quite a lot of inexperience in that, but guys that have played well. So like out of Conway, Daly, like Henshaw has experience playing at 15. 
Um, you've got Keenan there who's played phenomenally for Leinster and you've got Stockdale who played quite a bit of his rugby early late this season at fullback and then moved back to the wing. What do we think the back three combination might look like or who is the best suited at fullback there? Yeah, I think that Hugo Keenan deserves a chance. Um, definitely from the way he's played for... At fullback and not yeah, on the wing. Yeah, at fullback. I think the opportunity now is to present itself because... You know, Jordan was playing outstandingly well at fullback and unfortunately picked up the injury um, over against Treviso. It's going to keep him out for quite a while. So, yeah, I think give Hugo, you know, reward him for how well he's played. And then you've obviously got a choice of um, Daly, Conway or Stockdale. There's, I don't think James Lowe is, is qualified just yet um, to, to play for Ireland, isn't he not? I think it's still... I think it's November. I'm yeah, not sure, exactly. But... It's November. Yeah. So yeah. it's another couple of weeks. So... Yeah, I mean, Shane Daly's done brilliantly well for Munster as well, and he's actually played a fair bit of fullback. But, um, I mean, I think Andy might go Stockdale on the left and, and Conway on the right. I think in, with Keenan at fullback there, that's a, a really strong combination. So, um, Yeah. And Ian, what about you? You've experienced playing with Stockdale both at fullback and, and as a winger. Like what, I suppose, what is the difference of him being at fullback. Like people spoke about that, the boot, he, he gets to show off that left boot quite a bit more in that fullback position. But I suppose you played with him. What do you think he's more suited as, as a winger, as a fullback? Yeah, obviously a very gifted guy. You know, you'd have him, um, you know, if you have him on, on the left wing, you're, you're going to try and use him as much as possible. But it's great having a fullback and his, his left foot for me in particular, when you're exiting your own half, being able to just get the ball out to him and, he can kick the ball, you know, 60, 70 metres down the field. It, it's lovely having him there. Um, it's great having a left-footed kicking option in the box oh, as well. beautiful. Like, you know, that's what, like, you know, Rob was a mainstay in the team for over yeah. 10 years. And he had the whole package. But the fact that he had a left boot as well was such a huge yeah. asset to him. Because yeah. I think it's quite a rare, you know, not every backline has um, someone with a good left boot. No. He has an extremely good and stock to it's funny having a good kicking game having a good right footer and a good left footer it, it then actually opens up much more running opportunities for you you know it's not necessarily oh we've got this left footer guy let's just use him to kick the ball loads mm. teams have then got to set up with their back three differently you know keeping their full back back one of their wingers back and then suddenly instead of ta- attacking against you know a four up defence with the full back closing early mm. because they don't think you're going to kick because you don't have a left footer suddenly you're attacking against a three and a half and it's much easier to get an edge. You then make 20 yards, your scrum half gets to the rook, and then booms it down the pitch. You know, it just gives you an, another option and a, a different way of playing. Yeah, even, I like, remember um, doing footage on, on Ulster, you guys, just over the past while and over the past few years, and since Stockdale went in, if I was picked on the wing, you know, I knew that he had he's such a cannon of a left boot that you do have to... Yeah. be much more aware of that space in behind you because a right footer is not going to be able to get it there as quickly. No. Um, so yeah, just a great asset to for Ireland to be able to have now that, yeah. that Rob is kind of out of the, the fold there. Yeah. And I suppose the same, there's such depth in the back row um, and obviously with the second row with, I suppose, Henderson being suspended, he's still suspended for the game, isn't he? And Baird been ruled out as injured. So there's, you know, that original squad that was named, it's looking a lot different. And then that back row is so competitive. Like, You've got CJ, you've obviously going to be Munster biased here with um, Peter Manny, CJ Byrne. Um, but, you know, then there's Vanderfleer, Doris, Will Connors, who's had a, f- a phenomenal few games, and rightly so, you know, could get could earn his first cap. So 
you know, the competition there in the forwards, it's, you know, it's there in the back line, but it's also there in the forwards as well. What, you know, who, who do you think is going to be your combination for that one, Fergus? For the second rows and back rows? Second and back row, yeah. I don't know. I think, well, you're going to obviously definitely start James Ryan. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a definite. Got, I suppose it's just who partners I him. Think, I think he's going to start and then... Um, I mean, you have some other really nice options of of you know, between Quinn Rue and Alton Delan. Like they're they're both really good players to to put in there. And I think any of the opportunities either of those guys have gotten over the past few years, particularly under Joe Schmidt, um, have done really well. So I think um, one of them with Ryan would be you know still a really strong option. Uh, I think in in the back row. It's just so competitive. It's very hard to pick who would start in each position because the likes of CJ and, and, and Peter have done so well for years um, under Joe Schmidt. And then obviously when Andy came in as, as defence coach, like they would, know, they would know Andy so well from Ireland and, and the Lions tour. So um, you'd, you'd have to think those guys would probably be in pole position to keep their spots. Um, but who knows? Because, you know, Caelan Doris... He was the Young Player of the Year for, uh, for, I think he was Zurich Young Player of the Year was announced yesterday, um, and deservedly so. So he could start at, at eight or six as well. And then you've got one of Josh um, or Will Connors um, for, for, as a seven. So it's just, I mean, the competition is, yeah. um, it's pretty And then incredible. you're not even talking about Jack Conan there. You know, there's so many, the depth in the, in the back row yeah, is just... Yeah, gee, how did I forget about Jack? Jack, Jack... <laughs> I'm well, surprised it's a Leinster man. But that, well, that's the thing, though, because it, like the, the weird thing is with our Jack is literally, he's been, he's carved it up for Leinster for four or five years, for four years. And he just, he probably hasn't got the love that he should have with Ireland, really. I think that, um, you know, they've, Ireland just seemed to, they go with, they've gone with CJ and he's done, you know, brilliantly well for them. And, um... Yeah, I think, you know, Jack has fallen on the wrong side of selection a few times and I hope over these next few games he, he gets an opportunity anyway. Yeah, so other talking points, you know, I suppose we've we've spoken about the um we've spoken about the men's Six Nations and I suppose I have to mention the women's um Six Nations coming up and um we are very excited as well. Our game is on Saturday at the weekend playing against Italy too, so so we can't forget about the women in that in that stage Absolutely too. And currently are, being in camp, you guys yeah. are two from three as well. We are up to date on your women's knowledge. This is great. And <laughs> we had to, we had to after the first day, the dry run we did. Exactly. You rotten. You've you've googled all the women's names since, which is great to hear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, we're just in camp. We've had a really good few weekends of camp. Um, you know we've. We're lucky that, well, we had a few injuries at the start of the season, but we have, you know, some really good players back in. We've got Claire Malloy back in, um, who is like a phenomenal player to be able to bring in um, through some some girls getting injured. But going really well, we're so excited for it. You know, this weekend especially, it was so competitive. I suppose knowing that it's your first game in six months as well that you haven't played. And it's actually bizarre to think that our first game in six months is going to be an international game. We've had no friendlies, we've had no club games, we've had no interpros. So um, it is bizarre thinking, you know, God, can I even tackle? Could I remember how to do this? And, you know, you can train all you want, but the intensity of a mm. match is completely different to... to um, yeah, I remember, our, last to week when we were, remember last week when we were talking about it, you were saying that you've got a very strong chance of being captain. How's that going? <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> 
I don't think Kira Griffin would be too happy about that to hear, but you know, the way this year is going, you never know what's, what's going to happen. But uh, I wouldn't, I, you know, if you're a betting man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw all your money on it for sure. Okay. But no, look, we're very excited. It, it'll, I know you talk about the strangeness of not having a crowd and, and equally it'll be, it'll be strange for us too, not having the crowd over in Energy Park. You know, it'll be a really weird sensation. Like I remember I watched the Guinness Pro 14 final pitch side and, um, you know, you can hear everything and it's, it's probably even stranger for you guys not having the crowd there. And I think what opened up my eyes as well to was like, you can see the leaders on the field. You can hear everything. You can hear the leaders. And I suppose going back to the Zurich um, Player of the Year award that you just mentioned, um, Gary Ringrose, I think deservingly so, got that um, Player of the Year award, you know, from just person like I obviously um, wouldn't know him the way, you know him only from watching him from a distance, but from watching that day, you can hear not just he's not just a leader in what he does with the ball in hand. He's such a leader um, in everything around it. And I think not having the crowd that day opened up my eyes, and I think a lot of the commentators' eyes too, to just like how valuable he is to to the squad. Yeah, geez, I was I was delighted to see him get given that accolade um, yesterday because he's been incredible. Um, and you know, over the past few seasons, he's he's always been incredible, Gary. Really, to be honest, since he's broken through. But he's picked up injuries at r- the wrong times. Um, but this season, he's had a pretty clean bill of health, and um, yeah, he's just been unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I I'd like to think if he continues playing like this, he'd be um, one of the first you know, one of the first boarding passes to to head over to to South Africa for the Lions. And, and uh, yeah, delighted for him that he won that that, yeah. uh, that player of the year. Absolutely. Like I remember him breaking through. I think it was Matt O'Connor's um, last year. He was really pushing hard to, to get in, and he was an absolute nightmare when he was training against us because he'd be carving us up. Um, and then when Leo and Gerv took over, his career just took off. And you know, he was probably skinning me on the wing. Yeah. <laughs> Giving us all a nightmares. Yard of, a yard of face. Yeah, but I remember. I remember looking at him, and it was literally every week he'd be carving us up, and you're going. You know, there's always a small bit of a doubt. You're kind of going, will it transfer across to games for him? And literally from cap one, once he got his chance, he never looked back. And um, now he's he's a he's just a quality quality player and even better guy. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, and and he did win player of the year. But the, the competition even in the centre is unbelievable for Ireland at the moment because you know, the way Bundy Aki's been playing for Connacht, um, and then Robbie Henshaw's been right up there with Gary all year how well he's played and they've obviously played together in Leinster so they have um, probably you could argue that better cohesion on a, a weekly and monthly basis because they're with each other the whole time and then Stuart McCluskey's yeah. playing some of the best rugby he's ever played so Stu's been fantastic for Ulster you know he's mm-hmm. arguably probably their player of the year last year you know with, with John Cooney and um, you know is at the centre of everything that, that they do and I think the, the coaches, the Irish coaches, will be fully aware that that he can offer probably something slightly different to you know the likes of Gary and, and Robbie and, and even Bundy. Um, but look, will be interesting to see what they go with now next week. Yeah. And we finished out our show by inducting our very first member into the Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame tonight. During the week, we asked our viewers and our listeners on the Twitter and Facebook pages to write in who they would love to see as a guest on our House of Rugby show. There are some amazing suggestions, some difficult, I think, tasks for Pat to try and get his hands with these people. Some of the, some of the responses were people like 
John Muldoon, Will Addison, Dan Carter, Baven Parsons and Joe Biden all mentioned. So I think Pat is going to have a really difficult job getting his hands on some of those people. Um, they were all really great names. Um, however, the one that jumped out at us, and I think as a proud Munster woman, um, the winner of coming into the Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame is Dave Welton. He wants to see Simon Zebo on. What would you think about that, lads? Yeah, it'd be great. Thumbs up. Yeah, be a Big great fan guest. Of Simon. Um, great guest. I thought Zebo was fantastic last night as well. It was great to see him carving up for for Racing. Two fantastic tries, and um, I think generally he had, a, he had a great game. You know, unbelievable under the high ball and everything he touched kind of came off and um, that was great to see I think he'd be a good, great guest for us as yeah. well because we both played with him at Ireland and did yeah. you play with him in underage as well? Yeah we were he was a year ahead of me but yeah played played against him in the underage stuff and um, yeah he'd be good fun as well mm-hmm. and I would love to see him on as a proud Munster woman and the question that Dave asked him was when are you coming back to Munster a question I would love to ask him myself so for next week, what we want you, do, you to do as viewers, your task is to send us your home setup ahead of the Guinness Six Nations game against Italy. So send them in into the House of Rugby page and we will love to see your, your setup ahead of the game. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for watching into the very first episode of season three's Guinness House of Rugby. With us, a big thank you to producer Pat, Colm, Dermot, Paddy, Anthony and everyone that helped to get the show up and running today. It wasn't as easy, the fact that we were doing it through Zoom, but I suppose that's the life that we are living in at the moment. Um, a big chat, big thank you to the lads as well, Ferg and Ian, for, having, for coming on and having chats with us here. Um, and that's it for today. Slangful. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed.